All right, we got a lot on the docket today. It's another time for a reaction video. It's, it's been a very chaotic couple weeks, and Neil and I will give quick updates, but I'll just tell you what's on the docket today before we get started. We're going to be talking about Dave Portnoy buying a Barstool Sports back for a dollar, Mr. Beast getting sued for $100 million, WPP, which is a large ad holding company, lowering their guidance. We're going to talk about kind of down rounds, kind of what's happening in the venture world and how that relates to marketing. We are also going to be talking about how Forbes does SEO, a little, a little bit of that. And we'll also be talking about how Barbie actually spent over $150 million, I believe, on marketing. So we'll do a little recap of that one. And also a recap of the Leveling Up Founders Mastermind that we just did. So that was this past week in LA. And I'll actually let Neil kick it off because he could update everyone maybe on why it was chaotic and also his thoughts on the event. So the event was overall really good, and you guys are going to hear some podcast episodes from some of the speakers coming up on uh, the Marketing School podcast, so you'll get quite a bit of insights. And there were some really good talks from macroeconomics, what's happening, how it's going to affect marketing and business, to how to do M&A to grow faster, to how to invest more in personal branding, uh, and how to do it right from someone who spends over $60 million a year on influencer marketing. And when I look at the event overall, it was great. Venue was amazing. The food, uh, I think you did level up the food as well. Uh, it was a Wolfgang Puck restaurant. I think that was used to be a, yeah, cut. a restaurant too. I could be wrong, but I think it was oh, a you're right. restaurant before. So overall, I was really pleased with the event. I didn't get as much out of the event as I wanted to and it had nothing to do with the event. Right now, my wife and I are in the middle of a big move. And the move is really chaotic and I only have a few weeks left to move. So we're interviewing builders, trying to find homes to buy instead of building. Uh, we brought our kids with us, trying to find new schools to put our kids in. So when you start combining a lot of this kind of stuff, it just started adding up where we were just like, okay, this is really chaotic and this is going to be tough. And for that reason, I didn't get to spend as many hours with the attendees uh, and the other members of the mastermind that I would have liked. I went to the first networking night. I went to uh, the lunches on both days. I attended some of the sessions, but I wish I was there for the whole time. And that was my biggest regret from the event. Uh, I was looking forward to hearing some of the uh, speeches. Larry Kim, I heard the second half of his speech. I can't wait to get the recording because the second half was amazing. And I heard the first half was great as well. Uh, I missed Devin's speech. I've known Devin for years. Uh, and I already knew what he was going to talk about. But still, there's always amazing nuggets in there that can really help from a marketing end. But yeah, biggest regret was I just didn't spend enough time at the mastermind due to personal reasons. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll share some. So as Neil mentioned, we'll, we'll share some of the clips from some of the talks, not exactly the, the full things in, in the upcoming weeks. And we'll share the whole thing of the marketing school Q&A. That's kind of become a tradition that Neil and I do. It's easy for us. We kind of riff. Sometimes we'll agree on stuff. Sometimes we'll disagree on stuff. And it's just a fun time. And just a recap. So Neil, this was actually the, the highest scoring mastermind. The MPS score was 100. That's the absolute maximum you can get. Just for reference here, it's not exactly exactly apples to apples. No pun intended, but Apple MPS is 73. And a typical good MPS score is 54. So ours is 100. But that's in quantity. That's in quantity, right? So yeah. Apple has so many people filling it out. Yeah. So uh, 73, like on volume, it's like the whole world, right? And which is like, again, it's not an apples to apples comparison here. Um, and then most of our speakers got above like a 60, which is pretty good for an MPS score. And what I will say is, I'll just share a couple stories here before we move on to the next topic. So 
we talked about the MPS court. It was hosted at the Beverly Wilshire and we had about 90 ish people come through. And so here's a couple of stories. One guy in the company, he, his business does about 500 million, $600 million a year. It's a family business. And he was trying to figure out how to divest from the company. And actually he found the, the perfect person to talk to. And another person in the group is looking to perhaps buy two companies, not just one, but two companies from within the group. Okay. And one person actually reached out to me and offered up their business potentially for sale. Right. And so that that's, those are kind of the conversations, the high level conversations that are happening in the group. I'm going to share my screen real quick. Those of you that, that follow us on YouTube, if you're not, you're, you're missing out, but you can see over here, we had a dinner on the first night. Neil, unfortunately was unable to, to make it. The screen's trying to pop up right now. It'll pop up when it does pop up. And if it doesn't, I'm just going to keep moving along. So let me stop sharing and let me reshare again. You didn't see it, right? No, I just saw three dots. <laughs> here, 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 let's do this. Okay, there we go. You see that? Yes, now I see it. Okay, cool. So this was kind of the dinner on the first night, uh, you know, mostly speakers. And then this guy over here, Ravi. So he's from Microsoft Clarity. And, and think, special thanks to the Microsoft team, Ravi and Scott, for sponsoring the event. And he actually had one of the highest rated talks, right? And then Devin, who you just mentioned over here, he's a fellow YPO member. He is really good at buying businesses and he's really good at terms. So he talked a lot about terms, deal terms and all that and M&A. And his score, his MPS score was 100. And there's only one other party that got 100, right? And so anyway, this, this is Syed over here. And, you know, just a great group, Jasmine Star and, um, you know, Steve from Prey.com. Anyway, and Dan Fleischman over here. But um, we'll continue on. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through the entire summary here, but um, the other thing too with this thing is we did pickleball. Not everyone came to pickleball, but pickleball was really fun. We did a national pickleball day. And the final thing I'll say is I always like giving away books, right? So this time was really special. Neil, I don't know if you know this. You probably didn't even pick one up, but you probably weren't even aware. But this book is written by Stripe Press. It's called Scaling People, and it's like the modern day how to how to um, high output management. So it's a management book basically. And you can't buy this on Amazon, the physical copy. You can't get it right now. And so we had to work out a special deal with them. And, and um, Tamara from, from Stripe Press was gracious enough to Why can't you get offer. it out? Because it's, it's, it's like in high demand. That's oh, why. it's sold out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can buy the Kindle version if you want, but, you know, it is what it is. So so anyway, that's it on the event. Um, you know, speaking of which, Neil and I were kind of talking. And, and feel free to tweet or DM me, but we're actually considering doing a general public kind of marketing school event again. Just because our events team, Evolve Events, Deanna from the Evolve Events team, Carol, they did such a good job. And we're just like, dude, if, if it's such a good job and we don't need to worry about that much, then like, you know, we'd be open to it because Neil and I are going to be living really close to each other. So, so that's that next topic is you can pick here, pick from the list. Let's talk about, uh, barstool sports. Everyone's, you know, it, the story has been going viral on how we pretty much got the company for free. That is actually not true. It's the furthest thing away from the truth because in there, I don't know if you saw the fine print, depending on how he monetizes, you know, if monetization happens, they get a cut of all the revenue. Well, the only thing I saw, Neil, was if he sells for if he sells the company, they get fifty percent in proceeds. Are there other terms? Monetization as well. I read an article. I don't know how accurate it was, but it said if he monetizes, they get a cut of the revenue. Oh, okay. That's a big difference than like if he sells, he gives up fifty percent because it's like, oh, I'm like I, technically, if he bought it for a dollar and if he sells, he gives up fifty percent, but he keeps it forever. He really got it for free. But if there's all these other terms, then it's actually it it's not as you know. It's not exactly like the headline, so. 
Yeah, but a lot of people are saying he just took away the company for free. That is not true. They're getting a, you know, depending on how he monetizes, they can make money there, at least from the article I read. And if he sells, they can also make money there. It's still a good deal, though. It's still a good deal, but it makes logical sense, right? You're just like, eh, this isn't doing really well within our organization. Let's spin it out. Let's give it back to the founder. Let him run it. And let's make the best of the situation and still have potential upside. I just think it's it just goes to show. I don't know if his payout was like eight hundred million or something like that. It just goes to show that buying these media companies and trying to just continue to monetize it through media does isn't necessarily the play. We've talked about on the podcast here. If you're going to build the attention, if you're going to build media, have a monetization model like an agency, for example, like what what both of us are doing here, or what Gary Vee is doing, or you even Mr. Beast. Yep. Mr. Beast is creating products and using the media to monetize uh, his products. And yep. funny enough, speaking of Mr. Beast, he got sued, right? Hundred. Yeah, bucks. I mean that's that's our next topic over here. So the headline here is he got sued for a hundred million bucks by the Mr. Beast burger chain that was kind of fulfilling for him. So do you know about the the details of the story or no? No, I don't know the details of the story. I saw that he was getting sued though. Okay. So from what I'm hearing, I think he's trying to get out of his contract, but they because he's such a big name, here I'm going to pull up the article over here. So because he's such a big name, like if I were the kind of virtual burger kind of fulfillment company, I would be suing the crap out of him, right? So let me just share my screen over here and we can kind of go through this together. So you see this, yes? Yes. Okay. So let's go through a couple. So virtual dining concepts and celebrity virtual dining VDC are suing the YouTuber and his beast investments for failing to honor his contractual obligations, as well as intentional torturous, tortuous interference. Damages are alleged to exceed $100 million. And so blah, blah, blah. Okay. Let's look at this over here. So Jimmy... Jimmy, who's Mr. Beast, Jimmy Donaldson sued VDC and his parent company last month, seeking to terminate the deal for his restaurant chain, alleging, among other things, that the burgers it served were disgusting, revolting, and inedible, and damaged his reputation. Last week, VDC fired back, calling the YouTuber's lawsuit meritless and ill-advised, claiming that Donaldson had breached his agreement with the virtual restaurant company and attempted and recently attempted to negotiate a deal to serve his own monetary interests and give up more of the brand to him to terminate his existing contractual obligations without cause. So basically from what I heard at the event, someone else was talking about it. Um, he behind the scenes was trying to rework, renegotiate the deal. And then when he realized that he couldn't, then he sued them. And so if that is actually true, that is negotiating in bad faith. Now, speaking of uh, getting sued and Mr. Beast and, you know, being out there, something else has been out there. They don't really have to deal with lawsuits, but they're out there quite a bit and they have been a ton in marketing, just like Mr. Beast. And they've been capturing actually more of the headlines than he has in recent days. And that is Barbie. Uh, the movie hit over a billion dollars in box office revenue, which is kind of crazy. And they outsourced uh, a lot of their marketing as well. And Eric, do you want to cover that? Yep. So on the screen over here, so this is written by Alex Garcia. He's, he's a great marketer. Um, so the real genius behind Barbie's success was in the $150, $150 million marketing budget. So the thing is, they pushed their licensing agreements to 100 plus brands. And I'm going to talk about what that means in a second. And I think this is pretty genius. This is why they felt everywhere. So I don't know about you, Neil, but where I live, I, I live close to a mall and it was plastered everywhere, right? In Japan, you saw a big, like, or Dubai, you saw a big Barbie, like, one of those packages and you can see like kind of like a virtual Barbie walking out. Um, so they collaborated with Airbnb. So you can rent Ken's dream house, 
Burger King, so the pink burger, Xbox, so custom hardware. And basically what happened was that they went in a different direction. And so I'm going to give an example over here. So usually if you're like another toy company like Hasbro, for example, so they might have G.I. Joe, Dungeons and Dragons, Transformers, right? They fully controlled the marketing and the rights. And so they bought a production studio for $3.8 billion in 2019. Last year, they sold it for $500 million. So they lost $3.3 billion on that, right? So basically, Mattel, which owns Barbie, they crowdsourced their marketing and they maximized collaborations and they gave a lot of creative freedom to the people that they're collaborating with. And that helped really push it. And I think, Neil, do you have numbers? I, I think it's one of the top grossing films. I, I, I think, Neil, you're trying to Google it right now, right? Uh, I am trying to Google it right now. Yeah, so I'll continue on while, while Neil finds it. So at, at the end of the day, it's creative genius from all these big companies. It's everyone combining to do something amazing to hit the numbers that they hit because I think they blew everything out of the water because of their their super strong marketing. And they kind of rebranded Mark uh, Barbie. I actually didn't watch the movie, but I've heard what they've done with the movies that they've kind of repositioned uh, Barbie as a company or a brand. All right. Want to guess the worldwide number? Uh, five billion. I don't know. No, no. One billion sixty-six million dollars. And how does that compare? Uh, so for original Reese, I think for this year yearly. Let's see what the yearly. Uh, yearly number one was Super Mario Brothers, then Top Gun, or actually, it's not. A, yeah, for this year, 2023, it was Super Mario Brothers. 2022 was Top Gun at $7 billion, which is kind of crazy. But if I look at just this year, uh, total gross, release date, number of theaters, and I don't know why it would be $7 billion. I don't know how they're looking at total gross versus average. But I'm on. I'm using Box Office Mojo. I'm funny enough. Do you want me to share my screen? How do yeah, I go ahead. Go ahead. Hit the share thing. The share screen, share screen. And where's box office mojo? There you go. So you guys can see, right? So for 2023, it's saying top gross or total gross with Super Mario Brothers. When I click through on it, and this is why I want to share my screen, the total gross here shows 574 million. I think that's total uh, for the year of all movies. Oh, uh, got it. But either way, yeah, you're probably right there. Uh, so. Number one was Super Mario Brothers. Number two was Barbie. Barbie did exceptionally well. Barbie might win. I mean, so just stay on the screen real quick. Go back to it. Well, let me see if that's true. Top Gun, yeah, you're right. It's just total gross for the whole year. Okay, so okay, if we look at Barbie, right? So Super Mario is 574, and then Barbie okay. is 4, 492, right? And But it only it came out in July This July is domestic, by, by the way. I'm pretty sure that this number yeah. right here is domestic. And then... Mario has been out for a while, so I think Barbie might end up winning out. It might be, it might actually be the number one film for the year. And which let is me... crazy because no one would have ever guessed that, by the way. No, no way. I mean, and I mean, you this can, is you can see the time range, right? Super yeah. Mario Brothers has been out for a long time. April fifth, Barbie July twenty first. It's not and even a month. Recording, yeah, it's not even a month. Yep. And so April, May, June, July, August, so it's like four and a half months for, for Mario, right? Uh, let me share my screen and we can move on from here. So this is from Axios. And Barbie has earned more than $1 billion in worldwide box office sales, according to Comscore. And that it's the first film solely directed by a woman to ever cross $1 billion in global box office sales. That's great. And then uh, 459 in North American tickets and 572 from theaters overseas. 
And no movie in Warner Brothers history, 100 year history has sold so many tickets so fast. And I think a huge part of that has to go to marketing and how really a lot of people understand what, what Barbie is, right? So anyway, we'll move on from this one. We'll move on to the next subject. What is the next one, Neil? Next subject is WPP, one is the bit, which is one of the biggest ad agencies globally, has lowered their guidance. Um, and there's an article on CMO that ends up breaking down how, or Wall Street Journal that ends up breaking down how WPP is just seeing a slowdown in marketing. But the good news is they're optimistic, and so is Google and so is Facebook, about the rest of the year. So that's a good sign as well. Have you read this one yet? No, but I've read similar articles on WPP's guidance, and they all say different things. But the yeah. overall message is terrible first half of the year. Uh, people are seeing it slowly starting to rebound, and they're being yeah. a little bit more optimistic. So, okay, previously said, uh, so for this year's projections, like-for-like uh, like revenue, less than pass-through cost, less pass-through cost, sorry, to grow between 3 and 5% this year. Let's just call it revenue to, to simplify things, okay? Now it expects that figure to sit between one5 and 3% growth. And so the company's like-for-like like revenue, less pass-through costs grew at 2.3% in second quarter. And the main thing here that we want to take a look at is really this last sentence over here, right? So look, you know, the tech, they lost like a chunk, like what, what is this? 18% of tech revenue. So lower spending in that area made an outsized impact on results. And he said, when the, the chief executive, Mark Reed said, in the long run, that's a source of growth, talking about the tech sector, right? In the second quarter, there's no doubt that it hurt us. And so I think, look, in, in the long term, like things will be fine and, you know, lowering guidance, like I understand. Um, but we, I think Neil and I, we, remember we're talking to um, Mark Moss, who attended the, the mastermind. And we were both kind of wondering, because Mark is really good and really understands macroeconomics. We're like, when do you think customer sentiment is or consumer sentiment is going to change? Do you remember what his answer was? No. I don't remember his answer either, but I, I think he was um, still a little bearish, I would say. But, um, you know, we don't want to make predictions here because we've already done it on this podcast. We still say 50-50. So, so that's that. Now, the other thing I wanted to break down that's kind of similar to this is what the venture market tells you about the markets right now. And so this comes from Tomas Tunguz. He's a, he's a venture capitalist. And he's actually, what he's doing is he's, taking data from Carta. And so Carta, they have a lot of cap tables. They, they, they do cap table management for, for startups, which means they will help um, kind of organize who your investors are, you know, how much equity they own and all that type of stuff, right? So they released their state of the market report. And Tomas said a few data points stood out to me. So those of you that can see the screen here. So down rounds constitute 20% of all rounds. That's up 2x from historical norms. So down rounds mean that when you raise more money, your company is valued at less. That's why it's called a down round. Bridge rounds account for 38% of all rounds in Q2. And then 2.9% um, of rounds recapitalize the company. Recaps effectively delete the previous cap table and start a new one. So the main point here is that these are all signs of the harder fundraising times. But... The glass half view is that 80% of all rounds are flat or up. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, uh, it, it's, I, I think things were really overvalued in the first place. So I just think it's coming back down into reality and a normalization. Yep. And over here, look, time between rounds has jumped about 40%, which actually adds up to what Neil and I've been talking about, how sales cycles in general are longer, whether it's raising money or whether it's closing a deal. If you're like a SaaS company or an agency company like, like ours, 
And this is roughly consistent with the lengthening in sales cycle software. There you go, right? Uh, enduring with customers. Perhaps there's a parallel in buyer psychology in software and venture capital. The last point I'll make over here and we can move on. Um, so here, check this out. So last employees have ex last employees have exercised options at the lowest rate since the dawn of COVID at 26% down from 46% two years ago. And basically the investors are now, are now waiting for employee confidence to come back, which is looking at sentiment, right? So the greater the employee confidence in a business, the more compelled an investor could be to lead a round. So, dude, right now, what do you think is going to happen with venture capital funding and in the next 12 months, if you had a guess? I think, I think it's still people are going to stay kind of bearish and they're going to kind of just wait. I think people are just continuing to wait and see. Like you and I, the reason we had that question was kind of we're waiting and seeing right now and our customers or our prospects are waiting and seeing. And so we just kind of have to wait and see because the thing is, all the all these rate increases, what are we at now? 5.25% or something like that. All these rate increases, I don't think we've actually seen the the effects yet. We don't we haven't seen kind of the lagging effects of it yet. And so again, neither Neil and I are economists here, but we're, we're this is just our best guess. So I don't know. I'm curious. What do you think? Dude, I I think you're gonna once rates start going down, you're gonna start seeing things become more aggressive. But until then, I think you're gonna start seeing you're gonna see the market being cautious and slow. You know, we had um George Gammon speak at the at the event, and George Gammon has a YouTube channel with like 500k subs and another one with like 150k, and he mainly focuses on talking about macroeconomics. And still, his base case is stagflation, which means the economy stagnating with a case of inflation in there. And, you know, what he was kind of saying is like, look, anytime the yield curve, the yield curve, sorry, has inverted. And so we don't want to get too much of macro here, but when the yield curve has inverted, meaning that the, I believe it's short-term rates, you get a better return to long-term rates. There always is a recession afterwards, right? Besides one case, like, I don't know, like there's always exceptions to the rule, but his case is still that. And, and I think it's still the same thing with, with Mark Moss as well. So I'm cautiously optimistic. That's what I'll say. I don't know about you, Neil. Yep. No, totally. Dude, I'm cop I'm optimistic as well. And But time will tell. But neither you and I, like you said, are economists, nor do we know what's going to really happen. Yep. So the last thing we want to talk about here is, Neil, I don't know if I, I don't think I sent you this this episode, but um, Gail, Gail, I, th I think Breton maybe from Authority Hackers, he did a really good podcast with an ex-SEO strategist at Forbes. And they actually do a lot of interesting stuff. Do, do you know about this? Do you know what they do with their, their SEO, Neil? Uh, I don't. Okay. So they actually spend more time on updating content versus new content creation. And they mainly focus on VIP pages that drive a lot of revenue. So an example of this might be best home warranty, right? And so they focus, they have entire teams that just focus on these money pages and not as much on, on new content creation because they have, just have so much authority, right? And there's a lot of inter internal linking going on. They don't mind about the anchor text. Like they're pretty aggressive with internal linking anchor text. And they use a tool called the versionista to monitor competitor changes. And so, for example, let's say Neil ranked number one for the keyword marketing agency, right? And I wanted to rank number one for that keyword. Well, then I might use just use versionista and monitor Neil's pages and see how it's affecting his see what changes he's making. And maybe I can cross-reference that with how he's ranking on that page as well over time, right? Um, so those are just a couple of things I thought was really interesting. Definitely go check out that podcast. And yeah, 
I, I don't know. I'm just fasting. Now I'm like, maybe we should just hire people from Forbes. So, Dude, Forbes has done really well, but they also have a really strong brand, which does help their SEO and people take that for granted. If you have a lot of brand queries, brand queries being that when someone does a Google search, they may search your brand name. If you look at a lot of the most popular search queries on the web, they're like Gmail, YouTube, Amazon, Facebook. These are all brand names. And the more brand queries that you get, we've seen a direct correlation with higher rankings as well. Dude, Neil, do you remember um, eHow or eZine articles, eZine articles? Back in the day, yes. Yeah, and th like that is an example. Anymore, but yes, they, I mean, they just rank for everything, right? They, they were like authority sites back in back then, but they just had really thin content. This is like that is known as kind of like a gray hatish thing, right? But this is like a gray hatish thing done in a white hat way. It, Forbes is a really good example. Yep. Wait, wait, wait. Let me show you. I forgot to pull this up over here. So this is Forbes. Like you can see, in the month of July. They published 1,900 new pages, and they republished 613. In June, they published new pages, 2,400, and they republished 1,000. It's a lot. It's a lot. Updating your content does really well. That's why Wikipedia yeah. does so well. Neil, I actually looked at yours, too. Let's look at yours. So, like, here, published once, 97, republished 156. Your ratio is higher. So for my ratio for what I can't read. Publish so it. new page. Okay. So in June of 2023, yeah, publishes higher than you. Uh, Correct. Yeah. That sounds yep. right. So, so anyway, is that, is that the list for this week? That is the list for this week. Oh wait, there's one more thing. One more thing before we get out of here. So our friend, our mutual friend, Syed actually showed me this. I'm going to check this out. Have you heard of this one? I'm, I'm just going to show one of these tools over here. Actually, I'll show two because we're, we're nice. So have you heard of rask.ai? I have from your event. <laughs> oh, that's right. All right. So we can thank Syed for that. All right, here we go. You see this? Yeah. All right. So basically, let's say we have this podcast over here. We can now translate video and audio with AI fast fun. And so here's an example of those of you that can see or listen. So what the video is pretty much showing is they can take any of your video content with you in there and they can end up dubbing it and changing it to a different language using a similar voice so it doesn't sound funny or anything like that. And it's a great way to just get more traffic from YouTube or any of the social profiles is dub your content to different languages. Dude, you didn't let me get to your language. Hold on a second. <laughs> anyway, so that's that. They actually have Chinese as well. Um, and then there's this other one where, check this out, you can add a mask. So this video over here, I'm just going to hit play. You know what? I'm going to kill this. So this video over here, you can see this this woman, she got changed into like an Asian model. And just by typing into a search word, like, look, Asian model, fuller lips, right? This is kind of crazy. And so I can... Let's say, for example, I want to become like a supermodel or something like that. I can do this. And uh, this is called brask.ai slash mask. So rask.ai and brask.ai with the B. Those are, these are a couple of tools that you can check out. I think the dubbing thing is an interesting angle because it works really well on YouTube. In fact, Mr. Beast does this a lot, right? And he grows really quickly on other channels. So 
that is it for this week. We hope you enjoyed this reaction video. We'll be doing a lot more of these. And let us know what you think. And if you want to see us do the marketing school live general conference, open up to the public, um, just tweet at me or DM me. And then, um, you know, we'll work on, we'll work on figuring it out. So anything else? That's it. Take care, everyone. Make sure you rate review this podcast. We love our five-star ratings. We really appreciate everything. Goodbye.